Welcome to Books on the Ridge, a production of Mount Zion Ridge Press, home of Books Off the Beaten Path. This is a podcast for our readers to get to know the authors of our books and look between the pages and behind the scenes. Plus, at the start of each month, we will offer readers a limited time code for a discount on the featured book. Your hosts are the co-owners and managing editors of Mount Zion Ridge Press. I'm Michelle Levine, Managing Editor. And I'm Tamara Lynn Craft, Managing Editor. Welcome back to part two of our chat with Penny Frost McGinnis, talking about Home Away from Home, Abbott Island Book Two. And before we get started, we want to remind you that through April 30th, we have a code for a dollar off of either the print ebook or audiobook of Home Away from Home. And that is MZRP Home all caps, M-Z-R-P, home, on the Mount Zion Ridge Press website. And now for part two. Let's get into some of the craft area now, since we've got the spirit of the story. So how long did it take to write this particular book? Was it already written when you had talked to Tamara about it, or was it just a gleam in your eye? It was a gleam in my eye. I was still working on the first book when I talked to Tamara. I had it almost finished, and um, so that was a good thing. But then as soon as I turned it in to you all, I started on Marigold Story. And I think it took me about eight eight months, maybe, eight or nine months from the very beginning until I actually turned the manuscript in. I, I can't exactly remember, but I think that's about right. But I never thought I could write a book that fast because Home Where She Belongs took me more like eight years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and home away from home more like eight or nine months. So so I guess I learned a lot the first time around and was able to apply it to the story. And hopefully Lucy's story will be about the same. We hope so. We are so excited about it. So what did you learn while writing this book along the way, maybe spiritually or craft-wise or challenging your imagination? What lessons? came out of this book? Well, I always learn something when I'm writing. And for us, uh, my family, 2022 was difficult, was a difficult year. Uh, We lost several family members and friends, including my mom. And I believe I worked through some of the grief in writing this book. Marigold and Johnny both have some grief that they need to work through. And although it isn't so much grief from death, it's still a process for them. And I'm so glad that they have the hope to cling to in the story because that's what I clung to as I wrote and as I grieved. I, I, I'd i say that was probably the biggest thing that I that affected me from writing the book. I don't know that I learned so much as it just helped me grow. Yeah. And of course, improving my writing is just to continue to write and continue to learn the editing and, and how to how to put the story together. This story had a lot of working parts that I had to really put together almost like a machine because I can I can tell this Marigold's father has disappeared and he's been gone for 40 years and she doesn't know where he is what's happened to him or anything so I had to read a lot of articles and I actually found a book on someone who had I can't say that because then I'll tell away this tell the story but anyway I had to do a lot of research on a particular topic 
to really work it into the story and make it uh, realistic. Because at first I was telling my daughter about the book and I'm like, is that too long for someone to be missing? And we're like, well, not really, because that does happen. So that was interesting to me to, to learn about what families go through that have someone missing in their family. That's great. I know that I've heard people say that the best novels are the ones that come from the heart where the Mm -hmm. person bleeds with their emotion on the page. And I believe those are the best novels. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. Well, you've, you've got something important that's being said. I don't think you, you set out with that goal in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, your your goal was to explore Marigold and Johnny's relationship and their romance right. and their healing. But we've got benefits from the things that you've learned, the characters learn along the way. So is there any point where you thought maybe somebody was trying to stop those important discoveries from being made? Um, you know, roadblocks, any difficulties along the way, like someone or something was trying to derail the project? I didn't really feel that way. I have to say, I it went pretty smoothly as far as just continuing to push forward with the writing. I, do, I never have enough time to get everything done when I think I need to have it done because I'm one of those who thinks I have to have it done two weeks before it needs to be done. We love which, people like you. Well, which is a plus <laughs> and a minus. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've always been that way and I... I don't suppose I'll ever be any different, but that kind of helps me push, push myself though, to get things accomplished. But no, I didn't really feel like there were any roadblocks other than the normal, you know, trying to make sure everything comes together on the page. Now, the most important question. We asked this in a previous podcast, but in case the listeners didn't hear that one, what is your favorite tea? My favorite tea is Lady Grey and Earl Grey. I only drink black teas. I don't drink any fancy tea, but I enjoy my decaf Earl Grey every afternoon. And Lady Grey, if I have it. Sounds wonderful. You might enjoy this. I picked this up at World Market when I was out today. Of course, the listeners can't see this, but it's a Downton Abbey tea. Oh, fun. Daisy and Mrs. Patmore's tea. Plum pudding black tea. Ooh, that sounds yummy. And I mean, you know, I, okay, I, I, I strayed off the path of the true tea believer and it's, it's bagged tea. It's not loosely. <gasps> How dare you? Tamara <laughs> uh, has gone white and she's shaking and, and you know, I don't think her eyes are rolling back in her head yet, but usually we try to get just loose leaf, but this just sounded so good. So I will save you some tea bags, Penny, sometime when we're able to get together so you can try this tea. (laughs) It just sounded yummy. Well, don't tell Tamara, but I use a Keurig. (laughs) A Keurig? How could you? (laughs) Uh, I've been in Tamara's house. Her husband has a Keurig. (laughs) And he drinks coffee, not tea. (laughs) I drink both. (laughs) we have a mixed marriage he drinks coffee i drink tea (laughs) okay i suppose we need to get a little serious again so let's talk about other writers and others books 
Um, have you read any novels lately, you know, stand out to you, either good or bad? <laughs> I read all the time. Uh, the the one I just finished is Amanda Cabot's After the Shadows. Um, I got a an early read, which was great. And it's part of her new series. And I really enjoy her books because she has a great way of creating the settings. Uh, this one was the late 1800s. And that really draws the reader in. And her characters are great. I, I really enjoy her stories. Um, and I also love uh, Cozy Mysteries. And Jackie Layton just uh, published her fifth one, A Killer Unleashed, and that was fun. Every one of hers has dogs in it, and I love dogs, so I really enjoyed that. I'm a very eclectic reader. I like contemporary. I like historical. I like suspense. I love cozy mysteries, so I yeah, I enjoy a lot of books, and I do read a lot because I do review some books. I think my next novel is going to be a Cozy mystery in a tea shop. Well, that sounds fun. <laughs> yes. Why fun. not? Yes. You've been involved with libraries in the past. Why don't you tell us a little about that? Uh, yeah, I've worked in libraries for 24 years. I got to retire from the Claremont College Library, which was great. Uh, the first 12 years, I worked as a children's librarian in both the public library and a school library. I absolutely loved that job. Uh, I, that's the one that I miss. And I fill in the blanks with that one by going to my daughter's class. She teaches first grade and I get to volunteer there once a week. So I'm still around the little ones a little bit. But I love that job the most because I was able to connect kids to books and encourage them to read. And I just am a big proponent about that. I, I want everyone to be able to read and enjoy reading. And I am constantly telling my grandkids about books and buying them books. And so I still do all that. But I got to read stories to the kids. With the older kids, I had fourth and fifth graders. I would read a chapter a week and they loved it. They, they couldn't wait to come back the next week and hear it. So that was fun. The difficulty I had was making sure I didn't have any books on the shelf that I felt were controversial. I did not want anything on there that their parents would, would prefer they not pick up because their parents were not with them. In the public library, when I worked there, that was different because the parents could come in and help the child choose a book. So I felt like in the public library, you know, whatever's there is there. Uh, I did not select books in the public library. Uh, we had someone else who did that, but I was able to have some influence on that too. But in the school library, I was the one who chose all the books. And I tried to make sure there were books that told great stories, were positive for the kids, and just want encourage them to keep reading. So I was careful about what I kept in the library. And I'm kind of thankful right now that I am not in there anymore because there are so many books out there that I'm just not sure should be on a shelf in a school library. And I know that's controversial. I know a lot of people would not agree with me, but that's where I stand on it. I agree uh, totally. Yeah. It's it's a tough topic because you have you have everybody's kids. I mean, you know, and I don't want to be the one that gives them something that they sh maybe shouldn't be reading. They're not mature enough to read. They're because they were K through fifth grade. And I just felt like I needed to, to be careful. Now in the college library, that was a totally different setting. 
I worked in the back. I did acquisitions and cataloging and just loved on the books because I did a lot of the repairs. But I ended up in libraries because I do love books and I love reading. And, and it was a great experience for me. I love that philosophy that when it's in the school, you're very careful because the parents aren't there to decide what they read. But in the public library, no censorship. Right. Yeah, that that's what I believe. And and um, I think for me, that was the best way to go. I, and I think a lot of school libraries are like that. Uh, probably not all of them, but I think a lot of them, um, at least in our rural area. I think all of them should be like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're getting down to the really, really serious part. <laughs> the craft. What's your process for writing? Do you have any rituals? Like some people, you know, play specific music depending on what part of the process they're doing. Some people have to have candles lit. They have to, they can only write in one place. What's your your process for putting a book together? And are you a morning writer or an afternoon writer or whenever I can find the time writer or... I'm the tired pigeon in the middle of the day, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't really, I don't know that I would call anything a ritual. I do like it quiet. I'm usually, I don't, if I have anything on, I get distracted. I'll either start singing if I have the re radio on or music. And if the TV's on, I'm totally gone. So I usually like it very quiet. I do like open my blinds and let the light in and try to make it as comfortable as possible. And I'm also a pantser or they call it now a discovery writer. So I listen to my characters and let them drive the story. And as I get to know them, I see more of how they would react to situations. So in order to listen to those voices in my head, I can't be listening to anything else. So I guess that's, that's, um, the best that I can tell you. I do have my dog on the couch beside me. So that's kind of nice. And she'll come up and here comes her head. Just like <laughs> this quick as can be. And she knocks the top of my laptop closed. And then I'm like, okay, I guess I need to take a break. So <laughs> she kind of keeps me, keeps me moving. So that helps too. That's awesome. Where do you work? Is it an office? Uh, what does it look like? I usually work in my living room. I have a mission style recliner, so it has the nice wooden arms and I can set the laptop up there or on my lap. And I have a small laptop, so it's easy to move around. And I have a big window by my chair and I open that up and let the light in and I can hear the birds sing. I do like that type of noise is the nature sounds, but it's just, I'm just right there in my living room. I do think I could probably write just about anywhere, even like if I, a lot of writers go to cafes and coffee shops and that sort of thing. And I could probably do that because I can block out noise, just that kind of noise, because I was used to my kids and blocking out their noise when they were growing up. <laughs> so I think it does, that does help that you've had experience with that. Yeah, that, that's probably my best description. That's awesome. Well, looking ahead, um, we've already spilled the beans about your devotional. So once once Home Away From Home is out, you'll be gearing up for the release of your devotional. But yes. looking beyond that, are you working, are you 
have you planned exactly what you're going to be working on or are you going to take a break or are you going to be focusing on marketing or what? (laughs) I know I'm going to be working on the Christmas novella and I am, I am in the process of researching Lucy's story because there just might be a buried treasure and a little mystery in it too. So I've given you some little glimpses into that one, (laughs) but I need to do more on that and then get it, get it started as well. I also will be marketing the books and marketing for Mount Zion Ridge Press, which has kept me very busy and I I keep it up with that. But yeah, I, I have all these plans. I just have to see how they all work out. For those who don't know, Penny is our marketing director for Mount Zion Ridge Press, and that's what she's talking about. Right now, she's doing a lot of advertising for our conference that comes up May 4th through the 6th. And this year, we have Stephen James and Alan Arnold as our keynote speakers. So it'll be good. Yeah, that's exciting. Everybody needs to sign up. Just thought I'd put a plug in for that. (laughs) Well, this is it for our interview, and we're sad to have it in. But Penny... Do you have any parting words before we go? I just really appreciate you having me on here. And I'm really excited about the launch of my book. And thank you for listening. Yes. And we are so excited about your book coming out. Our code until April 30th to get $1 off of Penny's book is MZRP HOME, all caps. That's M-Z-R-P-H-O-M-E. And we'll see you next time for an interview with a great Mount Zion Ridge Press author. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to Books on the Ridge, a production of Mount Zion Ridge Press, home of books off the beaten path. Check our website, www.mountzionridgepress.com for more information. Please consider subscribing to support this podcast. Plus, receive regular updates and more discounts as our way of saying thanks. Please come back next week for a new discussion with another Mount Zion Ridge Press author. Thanks for listening. We hope you had a good time. We certainly did.